You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. This is the season uh, known as Epiphany. You know the word Epiphany this revelation and insight into something new. And what the church does during the season is try to give us fresh eyes to see Jesus in a clear way, in a fresh way, in a real way. And so we, uh, in this season, talk about how Jesus is revealing himself. Because we all come with preconceived notions about who God is and what God is up to. And each time, this season is just a new way and space and place for us to get a better, more realistic picture of who Jesus is. We've been using Jesus's light darkness language, his seeing language, his eye language to see how Jesus teaches about vision so that we can get a better vision. Um, And so we've been using that language out of Luke 11 and 12 because there's a bunch of passages in a row that talk a lot about darkness and eyesight and vision. And really, ultimately, uh, we want to figure out what is Jesus teaching us about himself and how we can really see him. And actually, Jesus ends this whole passage with uh, how God sees us and where God sees us and what it means that God is seeing us. And so we're talking about vision, but we're talking about God's vision. As always, uh, if you have any questions or answers to questions that I pose, I got it up and ready. Uh, That's the phone number. It's on the bottom of the screen. I'd love to try to make this as much of a dialogue as possible instead of you listening to me for 30 minutes. Maybe you can listen to me for 28 minutes, and two minutes can be me answering some questions at the end. Um, Or if they come in and I see them in time, maybe we can stop and answer them. But I just want you to have a way to process what you're hearing. And if no question is too hard or too easy or uh, too simple, feel free to ask. We start with the bad news usually here at the, at the table church, and this is why. Because I believe that if you can better understand the bad news, then you can better receive the good news of the gospel. If you don't feel the bad news, then you will likely not feel your need for the good news. And so we start with the bad news. Today's passage is about our suffering and how we suffer. And here's what I think the bad news is today. It's this. If you... If you find and follow Jesus close enough, troubles will find and follow you. If you find and follow Jesus well, then troubles will find and follow you. Jesus tells us this in John 15 very clearly. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, I have chosen you out of the world, and you don't belong to the world anymore, and this is why the world hates you. And I always want to be careful about this because sometimes Christians get a persecution complex that's not real, but also sometimes there's some real things that make life hard when following Jesus. In fact, I would say it's impossible to follow Jesus well and live in the world well. There's just things that make it hard. It costs a lot to follow Jesus. It costs relationships. It costs jobs, opportunities, goals, money, time. I'm friends and friendly with a lot of people, but there's a lot of things that people do that I just don't do. And it makes it hard to have relationships with folks that are doing things like that. They like to go out, party, and then, you know, alter their state of mind. I'm just not into that. I just, it's not stuff I do uh, anymore. You know, listen, I haven't known Jesus forever, you know. 
It's not a lot of fun things to do in this town, but I don't gamble. I just, gambling's not a part of my thing that I like to do. I don't gamble at casinos, and I don't gamble in stock markets, and I don't gamble on cryptocurrency. I just don't try to take money and make more money without working for it. Like, that's just not, so I, I, I do watch a little bit of football, but it's really just to hang out with you guys. I just like hang, I don't even actually care that much about football. It's tr- honest. <laughs> honest. Uh, look at me. I didn't even wear the colors because I'm like, Jesus is more important than making somebody mad about how great the 49ers are. <laughs> I don't put political signs in my yard. I am an elected public official at the school board. I don't put any political signs in the yard, not even my own, because why would I try to offend my neighbor? over some politicians instead of loving them like Jesus has called me. And everybody wants to wrap their whole lives up around politics, and I'm trying to wrap my whole life up around Jesus. There's just a lot of ways in which it's just going to be hard to be friend and friendly. I mean, I can be, but to be best friends, to be close friends with people that are doing things that Jesus has asked me not to do. And so it costs and it can be hard, and it can separate you from your family and friends. I've lost very close friends, um, and there's jobs that I can't have because I think sometimes they promote things that aren't healthy for my neighbors. It costs. It can be hard. It can be hard. Today's passage is about that hardness, that suffering that comes with following Jesus. If you want to turn with me to some scripture, there's some in the back of your pew. If you brought some, that's fine. It's also on the screen. We are wrapping up Luke 12 section here of Jesus talking about sight. Again, we're going to be focusing on how God sees this passage is weird, I'll be honest with you. I'm, we're going we're gonna to land this airplane into something that we can use, but it, in, at first glance, it looks scary, and it, it looks comforting, but it's, it is comforting, but it's deceptively comforting. Um, we're in Luke 12, 794, if you're using a pew Bible, starting in verse 4 through 7, and it says this. I tell you, my friends, don't be terrified by those who can kill your body and after killing your body can do nothing more. I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear the one after you have been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Some people think this is Jesus talking about Satan. He's not. He's talking about God. The one you should fear is the one who can throw you into hell after you die. I tell you, that's the one you should fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for like a nickel? I don't know, two small coins? Yet one of them, none of them, not one of them, is overlooked by God. Even the hairs on your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth many more than those little old sparrows. That's our passage. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading, the word of God for the people of God today. As always, I preach three points. Head, heart, hands. What does God want us to know? What does God want us to feel? And what does God want us to do? So that we have a holistic faith that moves to us, through us, and back out into the world. Doesn't get stuck in any one place. Because we can sometimes, as Christians, get stuck in our heart or in our head. That's my temptation. Or some people just want to do all hands stuff, right? But... Uh, Jesus wants us to have a holistic faith that moves to us and through us. So I ask these questions of every passage I read. And for me, the thing I think what God wants us to know from this passage that Jesus just teaches us is that God sees you and your suffering. That's what he wants you to know. God sees you. 
and your suffering. Aren't five sparrows sold for two small coins, yet not one of them is overlooked? God sees it. Even the hairs on your head are counted, and you are worth more than many sparrows. This passage is about God, where God is when bad things happen. It's not as comforting as it might appear at first glance, but then also intensely comforting. Right? God sees the sparrows, but the sparrows are still sold for sacrifice. They aren't, you know, taken out of that system. God sees it. God sees even the sparrows, but they aren't not sacrificed in this temple system where they'd sacrifice animals for their sins. Jesus says, even though you are more valuable, which like, thanks, like, he's like, aren't sparrows like a, a nickel? You're way more valuable than that. You're like, thank you, Jesus, I think. I hope my wife accepts that Valentine's card. It's like, you're way more valuable than those wild birds out there. She's like, thanks. And also, my dumb pun here, even though you are more valuable than sparrows, what Jesus is saying is it doesn't mean you will be spared, though. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm overjoyed by your groans. So God wants you to know that he sees you and he sees you in your suffering and, and there's no suffering that you go through that God does not see, but it doesn't promise that you'll be spared from that suffering. But it is not outside of God's vision. It is not outside of what God knows and sees. And neither was Jesus spared, right? We know this. The most important, the Holy One, the Son of God was not spared, but it was not outside of God's vision. It was not outside of what God knows and sees. Your suffering is not outside of God's vision and view. He sees all. He promises to redeem it all and to heal it all. But he does not promise that we will be spared from it all. But he sees you. And Jesus hopes that that is intensely comforting. It would be better, we think, if he said, and he'll keep you from suffering at all. But that is not the reality of the world that we live in. It costs to follow Jesus. This is my lovely daughter. Is there anything harder than watching your kid go into surgery? I don't know. I saw her. I could have spared her. I could have said, I'm not doing this surgery. She just lived, she was having fevers for years. And they were like, we got to take those tonsils out. And we did. But she, her fevers were so high. She was just I didn't give her Capri Suns. I just gave her ibuprofen bottles. She just was living on ibuprofen and Tylenol. And finally, they were like, this is too much for her. Let's take those tonsils out. And you got to let your heart, as a parent, just head on into this operating room and you just pray. I could maybe have spared it. I could have said, no, let's not. But instead, she suffered. But I was there. I saw it. I was with her. I helped her. I was there afterwards. We cared for her. We, we helped heal her and redeem it all. And her fevers went away. And she's a much healthier, less ibuprofen-addicted child. It was not outside of my vision. And I was there to redeem it. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. God sees you. You aren't suffering in silence and you aren't suffering alone. I, I do always want to be careful when we talk about suffering 
and this is James, and you don't have to agree with me on this one, but I don't believe that God causes the suffering that we go through. And that he says will come. In fact, Jesus clearly says the suffering comes from humans. Why are you afraid of the people that can kill your body and then do nothing else, right? He's ascribing the suffering to the humans around us and the brokenness of God's creation. God created this place to be good and to not have suffering. We're the one who broke it and we're the living with the consequences of it. And so I don't think Jesus is saying God's causing you to suffer. No, I think he's saying you are going to suffer. There are going to be many, many hard times. And, and I want you to know that God sees you and is with you in it. Yeah. And he knows you, and he will redeem you, and he will heal you. And I hope that that is intensely comforting. That you can get through whatever you're going through because God promises to see you and heal you and redeem you in it. That's what I think God wants us to know in this passage. Not as comforting as I originally thought. I was like, oh, I'm more valuable than sparrows. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. That doesn't feel all that valuable. But the deeper promises that God is with you and sees you and knows what you're going through and cares very deeply. What does God want us to feel? There's so much feeling language in this passage. There's fear mentioned a lot. There's do not be afraid mentioned a lot. There's how valuable you are to God in the midst of this. But I think there's something really special about this passage that I think is what God wants you to feel or experience. And for me, I'm going to sum it up this way. Jesus wants you to focus on the friendship with Jesus. Focus on friendship. Jesus starts off this passage by saying, I tell you, my friends. I tell you, my friends. How many times in the whole Bible does Jesus call us friends? Two. Here and in John 15, when he says, I used to call you servants, but you're no longer servants. You're my friends because you know what I'm up to. You know the mission. You know what's going on in this world. I no longer call you servants, but friends because you're aware. And here, I tell you, my friends. The whole passage, I think, needs to be read through this. Through this. Jesus is talking to you about suffering, but he's talking to you about suffering as a friend. That someone is close by. Yep, the whole passage is painted by Jesus' friendship with us. He sees his suffering in ours, and he sees our suffering in his, and he wants us to know the thing that is hopeful to him and helpful to him as he heads towards the cross, death, death. And crucifixion is that God is not unaware of the injustice and the suffering that is going on in the world. And God sees us and values us. And Christ calls us friends in that. It reminded me of a scene from the Lord of the Rings. The final scene. The final battle, return of the king. You've seen these, these characters evolve and go on this grand journey. You've seen the dwarf yell out loud to everyone, never trust an elf. They hate each other, sworn enemies, dwarves and elves. I don't know if you know this. This is apparently lore. Very, they hate each other, but the journey has created something uh, for them. Take a look at the king giving a final speech before the final battle and that final scene. Take a look. courage of men fails when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship but it is not this day an hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down but it is not this day 
by all that you hold dear on this good earth. I bid you stand, men of the West! Side by side with an elf. What about side by side with a friend? I. I could do that. Now, if you've never seen the movies, you're like, that's kind of cheesy. But if you've seen all the movies and love them dearly, you're like, <laughs> you're like welling up in your eyeballs right now. <laughs> I. Never thought I'd die side by side with an elf. What about with a friend? He's like, I. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is it. (laughs) The real ring was the friendship they made along the way. You know what I mean? Like, it's the real treasure the whole time. Twice in that scene, friendship has come up, right? The king is like, there may come a day when our friendships break and our fellowships break, but that day is not today. Like, that's how he's ending. And you're like, yeah. He just said fellowship. That's that's one of the names of the movie. You're like, yeah. What about side by side with a friend? Remember, they hate each other. Never trust an elf. And he's like, he's so excited. I think this is what Jesus is doing a little bit. He's talking about suffering. We know he's going to suffer. He's already told us multiple times he's heading towards suffering. He's going to die at the hands of the government and the religious leaders on a cross. And he's going, my friends, I tell you, God sees you. Don't be afraid of the people. Consider the Father, most of all. This is the, listen, sometimes my slides don't keep up with me. So sometimes, the climax, there's two references to friends and the, the fighting life, friend, make a, it makes, but Jesus calls you friends. That's what he does, my friends, my friends. And so I'm going to end this point by asking you, like, do you see God, vision, focus, do you see God as a friend? Do you see yourself as a friend of God? This is how Jesus wants you to see yourself in this passage. He's getting ready to talk about something hard. Isn't it easier to talk about something hard when it's with your friend that you know has gone through it and going through it? This is what Jesus is doing for us. Intensely comforting, but in a way that doesn't spare us from suffering, but promises us the power to be able to walk through it. What does God want us to do? as we're wrapping up. But if you have any questions, great time to send them. What does God want us to do? What's the do language in here? I might've forgot to write it down. I did. It's supposed to say, if you have to choose, choose Christ. This is it. If you have to choose, choose Christ. I didn't really like that line. I was going to reinvent it, but it was late last night. If you have to choose, choose Christ. This is what Jesus wants you to know. Look what he says. I tell you, my friends, don't be terrified by those who can kill your body, and then after that can't do anything, right? But I'll show you who you should fear. Fear the one who, after you've been killed, suffer, go through intensely hard times, can throw your whole self, throw all of you, throw your soul into hell. Again, not Satan. This is God. That, indeed, I tell you, that's the one that you should fear. 
Then he goes on to say, sparrows, hares, and then he says, don't be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I think Jesus is doing something really deep here. At first glance, he's going, you should be deathly afraid that God's going to throw you into hell. But I don't think that's what's going on. It's like, are we supposed to be afraid or not? He said, fear, fear. I'll show you the one you should be afraid of. Don't fear those guys. Fear these people. Fear fear God because God can do this to you. That's what you should be afraid of. And then he ends the passage by saying, don't be afraid. Is God threatening us with hell if we do something incorrectly? I don't think so. That's not what Jesus is up to. For me, I think it's an issue of priority and love and investing in the things that matter, particularly eternity. I think Jesus is saying, don't live by fear at all. If you are going to make decisions based on fear, if you're going to live your life based on fear, then fear the one who has control over your destiny, not the one that can harm your temporary body. But ultimately, he ends with, don't be afraid. Friend, whom is much more valuable than even the sparrows, whom God knows all the hairs on your head. Like, let's not make fear-based decisioning happening at all. Let's, let's make life decisions based on love and the things that are actually matter and the things that actually impact eternity. So many of us make decisions based on fear. And we forget the important things in life. Here's my example. A tale of two football babies since it's the day. In 2013, Joe Flacco, the quarterback for the Ravens at the time, his wife went into labor and he played the game. He just, his wife delivered and he wasn't there. And the article goes on to state, which is hard to read, but I'm just going to give you some of the fear-based language. Flacco's wife, Dana, went into labor. Um, Joe, who signed a $120.6 million contract this offseason, had a tough decision to make. So just right in the middle of some commas with how much money is potentially on the line in the middle of this situation. And then the coach says something. The coach says, hey, Joe comes to me and he says his wife went to the hospital. And then he says he comes to me and he says his wife is dilated to certain centimeters. And then he says um, he had planned to come and tell me that she's in labor and that he was just going to get in a car and he was going to go be with his wife and be there for it. The coach says, I'm so glad he didn't do that. He would have had me hook, line and sinker in the boat to play with that on your mind. I think obviously says a lot and we appreciate that. If I missed a birth for a game. I'd be lucky to be let into that hospital room when I got there. This last December, a couple months ago, a guy on the Seahawks, 16th game, final game of the regular season, Julian Love, his wife was pregnant and he stayed home. And the coach said, I mean, ultimately she had baby on Friday. So he was like, okay, I'm going to go play this game, which, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But listen to how this coach approached it. Pete Carroll, the coach, expressed his support to love for potentially missing the game if the baby didn't arrive in time, saying whatever he's got to do. He's got to take care of his wife and family and all that, Carroll said Friday and all that. Like, I don't know if you're on this journey with me, but like, 
it feels like Flacco made some fear-based decisions about staying there and letting... He's going to be a dad for the rest of his life. He's lucky to keep playing for another 10 years, right? Like, this guy's... And the coach are like, family first. Whatever you got to do. Make sure you take care of your new baby and your wife. That feels like investing in, prioritizing, picking things that matter. They have long-lasting ability. I think this is what Jesus is saying to us. And here's my silly, silly summary for us. Why fear your coach who can only fire you when you should fear your wife who could divorce you? I don't think he's saying your wife's going to divorce you. I don't think he's saying God is just ready for you to mess up so he can throw you into hell. He's saying if you're going to make fear-based decisions, you should make fear-based decisions on the one that has an eternal impact on your soul, but don't be afraid. Why wouldn't you just pick the things that matter? Why wouldn't you just invest in the things that have the most long-lasting impact on your life and family and friends? It's not about divorce. It's not about hell. If you're making fear-based decisions, fear the one who has control over your eternity. Jesus would rather you not fear at all, he says, be not afraid, but to make the decisions to lean into Christ now, not because you're worried or you're afraid, because this is what's good for us, because God values us and calls us his friend and sees us and wants to walk with us through life. The Christ who sees you and loves you and knows everything about you calls you friend and declares, what? He declares that you are valuable to him and wants you to choose that. Not out of fear. Not out of fear, but because it's what's good and right and holy. That's it for me. I have a question here. How did you get the word nickel from two small coins? What about two pennies or a dime? Listen, I was just... Just a figurative flourish. I just wanted you to... Try to make that story come to life. You know what a nickel is. You don't know what two small coins are in Judea 2,000 years ago. I don't know how much it was worth. I'll look into it, though, for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. One-eighth of a day's wage. It's a couple nickels. It's a couple shekels, y'all. Okay? One-eighth of a day's wage. Thank you for the question. I'll get back to you on it. Jesus ends this section by talking about how God sees you, especially as you face hard times. And he wants you to know, feel, and do these things, as we said. He wants you to know that God sees you and your suffering. It is not outside of God's vision and view. He sees you. It promises to redeem and heal you from it. Uh, Jesus wants you to focus on friendship with God. That's what he wants you to experience. Closeness, companionship with God which hopefully gives you a new insight into how God sees us and wants to operate with us. And lastly, what does God want us to do? If you have to choose, choose Christ. Not out of fear, but because it is what is good for us and eternal. See, I did have it written down, I promise. And with that, would you pray with me as we head into a time of communion? Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the passage that encourages us to assess our priorities. That encourages us and convicts us about how we're making decisions in life, fear-based or not. That encourages us to prioritize friendship and closeness with you.
Not when things are good, but even and especially when things are hard. That we can see our suffering inside of your suffering. And that your death and resurrection is ultimately redeemed and becomes life-giving for us. And we pray that our suffering would also be redeemed for our life with you. As we come now to this time of communion, to the bread, to the cup, we pray that you would meet us here and that it would be spiritual nourishment for our journeys on our way to be closer to you, to experience friendship with you, to to let your Holy Spirit be removing fear-based living out of our life, leaning into the goodness that is you and your kingdom. We say and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, Table Church, help me finish that prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer. Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.